in your Bible this morning, the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. I'm preaching through the book of Mark, but today I will preach from Mark, the Lord willing, tonight at 6 o'clock. And uh, this morning, 1 Corinthians, chapter number 1. We'll start there, and then as soon as you find that, go to Galatians, chapter 6, and we'll look at two passages of Scripture. And normally I have you stand as I read the Scripture, but I will not this morning because I'll make a few comments as we go through uh, expositionally here. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and I began the reading of God's Word in verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, said the Apostle Paul, but to preach the gospel. And so he emphasizes there the priority is always preaching the gospel. And then he says, not preaching it with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. I don't want to say anything, he says, that would minimize the importance of the cross of Christ. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And so the outside world looks at us talking about the cross so much, and they think it's foolish. It's not very important to them. But unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. Remember that phrase. Now, in verse number 22, for the Jews, that would be the religious people, require a sign. And the Greeks, that would be the intellectuals, seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Not just Christ, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, the religious, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, the intellectuals, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised of men, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught or to nothing things that are. Now, just keep your finger there because that's our primary text, but please go to the book of Galatians and hear the Apostle Paul one more time, Galatians chapter 6, and verse number 14, one verse, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Everybody together, read that passage with me, if you will, aloud. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. This morning, I wanted to preach on this because we're three weeks away from Easter. 
In two weeks, it will be what we call the Passion Week, or it will be what over in Europe they refer to as the Holy Week. I like that even better, the Holy Week. It's the week in which we remember what Christ did to us in those events leading up to his crucifixion. So during this season of the year, our thoughts ought to turn to the cross, which is the central message of Christianity. If I had come along each pew here today, and I had said to each of you, what do you think is the central message, the heart the core message of the Christian faith, I wonder what you would have said. Well, had you asked me, Pastor, what is the core message, the supreme value, if you will, of the Christian faith, I would say to you the central message of Christianity is the cross of Christ. Everything else revolves around that. If you miss that point, you have missed it all. If you get that point, you will at least have a basic understanding of the Christian faith. It begins back in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we open its pages and immediately we begin to see this principle of the cross, which is the principle of substitution. It's the principle of the innocent voluntarily giving up his life for the guilty. And in Exodus chapter 12, for example, we see the story of the Passover lamb, how that the very night before the nation of Israel, after 430 years of servitude and slavery, the nation of Israel is ready to depart and leave to go to the holy land, the, the place of promise and blessing for them. And on that day, or that evening rather, every household took a little lamb and they killed the lamb. And they formed a cross. They put blood up over the door, over the head of the door. And then they put the blood on each side of the door, forming a cross. And they walked out under that cross to go on their journey to the Holy Land to cross over and receive the promises of God. Beginning in the book of Exodus and going through all the books of Moses and all of the Old Testament, we see over and over countless references countless references to the sacrifices in the tabernacle, later in the temple, how over and over and over, every time a Jew would sin against God or break one of his laws, there was a sacrifice required. We come to Psalm number 22, and there the psalmist, 1,000 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, yet Back there, the Holy Spirit led that psalmist to write a detailed account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The events of the cross are spelled out in Psalm 122 prophetically an entire millennium before the Lord Jesus Christ ever died. We continue through the Old Testament. We come to the prophets. Every part of the Old Testament, the law, in the Psalms, and then in the prophets, Isaiah chapter 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep 
have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and yet the Lord laid upon him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the iniquity, the sin, the evil, the wickedness of every one of us. The principle of a substitute, dying a violent but vicarious and substitutionary death for the sins of other people, a principle that goes all through the Scripture. We come to the Gospels. We have four accounts of the life of the Lord, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Each of them has a detailed several-chapter description of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, there are more chapters devoted, more verses, more material devoted to the death of Christ than there is to all of his ministry put together because the cross is the central message of the Christian faith. Now, don't miss that today. Walk out of here and somebody said, what did they talk about at your church today? The central message of Christianity, the crucifixion, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here in 1 Corinthians with our Bible. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? We're going to use our Bible several times today, so just lick your fingers and get ready to turn here. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and we read Paul's account of the gospel in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, he said, I I declare unto you the gospel. He's saying, now listen to me. I'm going to tell you in simple, quick phrases, what is the gospel of Christ? And we go down then to verse 3, and the very first thing that he says, I delivered unto you first of all, first of all, not last, not middle, not somewhere, but the priority thing, he said, first of all, I delivered unto you how that Christ died for our sins, the cross, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you this morning, there is no gospel without the cross of Christ. You take away the cross, we have no good news today to tell people. We have no message of forgiveness. We have no message of hope. We have no message of an afterlife. The cross of Christ, the central message of the Christian faith. And then we've already read there in the book of Galatians, God forbid... The strongest possible negative that Paul can use in his language. God forbid that I should glory or count upon anything or weigh anything to be important save the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1 and 15, a verse that might just summarize the whole Bible. He writes how that Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief, said the apostle. How that Christ came, and why did he come? He came to save sinners. The cross, the central message of the Christian faith. Our songs talk about it. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. I didn't know what fain meant. So I consulted Mr. Webster, who seems to know a lot about every word. And Mr. Webster said, fain means to gladly or to enthusiastically embrace something. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I gladly, I enthusiastically 
take my stand, the central message of the Christian faith. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. My guilt is gone. Forgiveness has been granted. Eternal life has been received. The cross, the central message of the Christian faith. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. But I love that old cross. So despised by the world. I will cherish, cherish, love it. We're to cherish our wives and our husbands. We cherish our children. But the writer says, I will cherish the old rugged cross. He said, I will cling to the old rugged cross, though everything may take, seek to take that from me. Though the storms of life may blow, I will cling to the old rugged cross, the central message of the Christian faith. Miss it, and you will miss heaven, my friend. There is no other way but the blood-stained way. We go home to God through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ upon Calvary's cross. The message, the central message of the Christian faith is the message of Christ crucified. Now, what does it mean? Let's look at the meaning of the cross secondly this morning. It means many things. The deepest of deep is represented in the cross of Jesus Christ. This is not some little superficial event. This is the apex of all human history as far as God is concerned, the day that his son went to the cross. What does it mean? Well, first of all, when I look at the cross up here, I understand that God loves me. It reveals to me the nature of God himself. If you want to know what God is like, then visit the cross. It's the central message of our faith. Visit the cross to know what God is like. It tells me that God loves me. Would you turn with me in your Bible again? Go back left this time to the next book, the book of Romans in your Bible. Chapter number five, chapter four and five is a great exposition by the Apostle Paul of our salvation and Over and over and over, he refers to the work of Christ in the cross. Now, my point is, what does the cross mean? Well, first of all, it reveals to me the nature of God himself. What is God like? Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God commendeth or proves or demonstrates, whatever word you wish to use. God proves his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How would I know that God loves me? Is it a warm feeling I get when I sing or think about the Lord? No, not at all. Because warm feelings tend to turn cool and they change and our emotions go up and down. So we don't base our faith upon our emotions. How do I know that God loves me even when I don't deserve to be loved? I look to the cross of Christ. God proved his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. 
The second thing I discover at the cross about the nature of God is God's grace. I see that God reaches out to me even though I don't deserve him reaching out to me. Grace is God giving us unmerited favor. He is loving us and accepting us though we don't deserve it. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, someone said. And so at the cross, I see a demonstration of proof, if you will, of the grace of Almighty God. I see something else at the cross. I see that God is just at the cross, that God is a holy God and a righteous God. God is going to punish sin. Now, listen to me today because you're not hearing this in America today. There, so much of the preaching is feel-good preaching today. And I'm telling you, you've got to get this right, my friend. God punishes sin because he is a just God. And I look at the cross, and I can see that God was willing to punish his own son, his own son in order to be a just God and a holy God and a righteous God. Nothing is swept under the carpet. Listen to me. Don't miss it today, whether you're saved or whether you're lost, because it is so true. Sin may be insignificant to you and me. It is not insignificant to God. In fact, I'll go further and tell you this. There are no little sins. We've contrive this idea in our minds that one sin, you know, I, 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 I sin, but I don't do the really bad sins. I'm not a murderer or, or a rapist or a, an adulterer or something like that. So I sin, yeah, but I, I, they're, they're under control, just the little sins, the little picadillos of life. And it may be insignificant to you and me, but dear friend, listen to me. There are no little sins. One Sin will separate you from God. All we have to do is break one of God's laws. The Bible says if we offend in one point, we're guilty of the whole thing. God must punish sin or he will no longer be holy and just. God doesn't compromise on my sin. He must and he will punish every sin. The child was told by the parent, the mother, don't touch that vase. Don't touch that vase. You may touch it and it may break. You may knock it off. And the child disobeys and touches the vase and it tumbles to the floor and it breaks in a thousand pieces. The child thinks nothing about it and then learns the significance of it later on. The vase costs $25,000. Just a little thing but it has immense consequences. And our disobedience is like that. God says, don't touch that. Don't go there. Don't say that. Don't do that. Sin is consequential. Sin is significant. And I look at the cross and I see how consequential and significant sin is, that God would send his own, his only begotten son to pay for our sin. I look at the cross, I see God loves me. I look at the cross and I see God's grace. I look at the cross again and I see that he's a just and holy God who must punish every sin. I look at the cross again and I see his wisdom. Look here in chapter five again, verse 19. And over and over, 
The scripture refers to the wisdom of God in the cross. In verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, that was Adam, many, all of us, were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. Adam sinned and brought this contagion, this spiritual sickness, this spiritual cancer, if you will, into the life of everyone born after him. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to the earth so he could pay off the consequences of that sin. And Jesus Christ died there. And when he died, my sin, every sin I've ever committed from the time I was a little boy, first understanding right and wrong, Until the day that the Lord takes me home, every failure, every sin, every mistake, every evil, every wrong thought, wrong deed, wrong act, wrong motive, it was all heaped upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and so were yours. And he died for the sins of the world. Oh, glorious thought today. I don't know how to express that in human words. It's so wonderful that Jesus bore our sins there the wisdom of God. But the cross reveals something else. It reveals the nature of men. Because beneath the cross of Jesus, Josephus, the Jewish historian, said there were approximately 3,000 people gathered around the cross or passed by. It was on a well-traveled highway. 3,000 people, more than are here today, walked by and saw the cross. Herod was involved, the Jewish puppet king. The Romans were involved. The Jewish leaders were involved. And some of the common people, the rabble, were involved. Pilate said, I'll release unto you Barabbas. And they said, no, no, release Barabbas, give us Barabbas. But crucify Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They chanted at the foot of the cross that day. And it reveals the hostility of man toward God and toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you go again to Romans chapter 5? There's so much here as well. In verse number 10, it says, if when we were enemies, enemies of who? God. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We were reconciled to God. Peace was made between God and his hostile enemies through the death of through the blood of Jesus Christ. You say, oh, I'm not an enemy of God. Well, the Bible says that we are. It says that we have rebelled against him, that we don't love him with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, that we have all gone our own way like sheep, the verse I quoted. And so, The cross up here says man is hostile. And we see them that day pouring out their hostility upon Jesus as they spit in his face and beat him with stripes and crowned him with a crown of thorns. The cross tells me something else. Reveals something else about myself. I'm helpless to save myself. Why would God send his only son? Because that was the only way. If there, were, if there had not been, if there had, had of been another way, don't you think God would have taken it? 
We could charge God with wrongdoing if there had been any other way, and he would have crucified his son anyhow. There was no other way. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the door of heaven and let us in. There's nobody else could have done it except the Lord Jesus Christ. And I sure can't save myself. For a man to try to save himself is like trying to lift himself by his own bootstraps. It's impossible. In Galatians 5 and 11, Paul uses a phrase. You don't need to turn there. The phrase is the offense of the cross. And the cross is offensive to us. It's offensive because of its violence, blood, spittle, cursing, hate. It's offensive to us because it's graphic and it's revolting in the extreme. Nobody wants to think about the horror of that day. The cross makes us uncomfortable. Now go back with me to our original passage in 1 Corinthians. Let me show you what Paul says about why it's offensive to us. He says, number one in verse 23, that the Jews, he said, we preach Christ crucified under the Jews, a stumbling block. Now the Jews were the religious people. They were trying to keep the law of Moses and earn favor with God by living a good, circumspect, and moral life. And the Jews were offended in their pride because the cross said, all your effort to make yourself righteous is of no avail. The old hymn that we sing here sometimes talks about that the cross, that he poured contempt on all our pride. He poured contempt on our pride. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags, the scripture says. They're to no avail with God. And so the cross offends the pride of the religious person. The Jews were looking for a Messiah. They wanted a political leader, a military leader, a great man on a great white horse to come riding in and lead their armies against Rome and bring victory to them and freedom to them. And a Messiah nailed to a cross, dying, writhing in pain, the thought was unthinkable. He's a loser. He lost. The Romans crucified him. Then in verse 23, he says, to the Greeks, it offended their wisdom. The Greeks were the intellectuals of the day. They were the upper class. They were the elitist. They were humanist. They didn't pray to their gods to come and be involved in their life. They had this idea of, we're humanist. We're smart enough to figure this out for ourselves. Our only problem is ignorance. If we get enough facts, we'll know how to work out the problems of life. And they thought, how can the death of some Jewish carpenter up here on a cross in Jerusalem have anything at all to do with anything important to us? And so the Jews were offended with their pride, and the Greeks were offended with their wisdom, their mind. In verse 28, the cross offends our values. The cross takes the world's value system and turns it completely upside down. Look at verse 28. God uses the base things of the world and the things that are despised by our culture and our society. 
God has chosen those things and things which are not to bring to naught or to nothing the things that are. Verse number 27, he's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And the weak things he has used to confound the things that are mighty. And so he offends our values, takes our value system and turns it upside down. People strive for riches, cross. Nobody's rich enough to buy their way past the cross. It offends our intelligence. Nobody's so highly educated or so brilliant that you can circumvent the cross. It's the central message of the Christian faith. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. Queen Victoria had been reading here in 1 Corinthians 1. She folded her Bible and laid it aside many years ago. She was a godly woman, Queen of England. She said, I thank God for the letter M. Somebody said, what do you mean? She says, it says, not many mighty or noble are called. But she said, I thank God for that M because if it hadn't said that, it would say not any mighty or noble. She got it. She understood that even a queen has to go to heaven by the way of the cross. The cross reveals the nature of God. The cross reveals the nature of man, his hostility toward God, his helplessness to save himself. It offends his pride. It offends his intellect. It offends his values. Turn to one more passage with me quickly. It's in the book of Colossians, and it's so important. I want you to see this one because there's another thing that happens at the cross. It reveals the nature of God. It reveals the nature of man, and it reveals the defeat of Satan. It reveals the defeat of Satan. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 15, it's describing Christ's death on the cross, and here's what it says, Colossians 2, 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, that's a reference to Satan and to demons, the supernatural unseen world. Having spoiled principalities and powers, Jesus made a show of them openly triumphing over them. And when Jesus Christ dropped his head on his chest after six hours of being punished for sin, and he said, it is finished. Into thy hands, Lord, I commend my spirit. When Jesus Christ said it's finished, I'll tell you what they put out, the black drapery in hell. Because Satan from that moment was defeated. You say, well, it doesn't seem to me like he's defeated today. Oh, no, he's defeated. He's like an army, a military power. And their defeat is certain, but they keep on fighting for a while until ultimately it's all ended. And Satan is in his death throes. Don't you ever forget that. He is not going to win. Ultimately, Christ's cross will triumph and trample upon the powers of darkness that wage against our souls. And so I look at that cross today, and it gives me hope. It's the central message of the Christian faith. The message of the cross, the meaning of the cross Listen to me very carefully. One more shorter point. The minimizing of the cross. The minimizing of the cross. 
Let's go back about three centuries now, 250 years or so, to the 1700s. Let's go to Germany. And in Germany in the 1700s, Germany was the intellectual capital of the world. Other people sent their sons and daughters to study in German universities because it was the epitome of intellectualism. If you had wanted to be a success and get the best education, you would not have gone to Harvard or Yale. You would have gone to Germany. The esteemed and renowned professors in every field were in Germany. The Germans were viewed universally as probably being the the smartest people on the planet. And in the 1700s, there came a philosophy, a belief into the German universities. And the belief undermined the Bible and its authority. The belief was called higher criticism, or sometimes we call it German rationalism. One of the leaders of that philosophy and one of the founders of this German school of rationalism was a man named Semler. And Dr. Semler wrote these words, and I quote from his book, the whole revelation of God must be brought to the bar of human reason. And the cultured mind must relieve itself of any obligation to believe anything in the Bible which appears to be unreasonable. End of quote. Sounds like many American university classrooms today. I'll read it again. Think with me. Similar said the whole revelation of God, meaning the Bible, must be brought to the bar of human reason. And the cultured mind must relieve itself of any obligation to believe anything in the Bible which appears to be unreasonable. And in one fell swoop, Semler eliminated the supernatural, all the miracles. He, instead of the Bible being our authority, he made the mind, the reasoning powers of man, the authority in life. And that philosophy spread. We sent in America our preachers to Germany to study theology under people like that. And so did other people countries of the world. And we, we today should learn a lesson. What is taught in the classrooms today is believed and practiced by the man on the street tomorrow. What is taught in the classrooms today will be practiced and believed by the man on the street tomorrow. It doesn't happen quickly. It happens very, very slowly and very imperceptibly. Well, through the teaching of German rationalism, what we today would call liberalism, where the reason of man is exalted above the principles of Scripture, the gospel was lost. The preaching of the cross was forgotten. Instead of preaching, as I have preached this morning, social justice became the message a fair deal for everybody and help people with their education and help them get out of poverty and and relieve the suffering of humanity. It was all about this life and this world, not preparation for eternity. The gospel was lost because the cross was minimized. Give it another 100 years or so after that, 200 years in fact, and along comes a man named Hitler. And into that stew into that time where in a country that for two centuries had been taught that the Bible was unreliable, this man comes to power. He hates the Jews. 
He comes to power when there's a time of economic woe and depression. He makes the state all-powerful. He makes the trains run on time. The government works again. And the preachers and the churches, captivated by his charisma, capitulate. They capitulate. They roll over to him. And little by little, and regulation by regulation, Hitler takes over all of Germany, including the church of Jesus Christ. A tragic, tragic day indeed. Hitler came out with this law, this regulation in Germany, that preachers could only preach the pure gospel. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? You know what the law really meant? Their preachers can preach anything they want in the church, but they dare not say anything about Christianity out on the streets. In other words, it's okay for you to practice your faith as long as you keep it in the church. But don't go out there and apply it when you go to work. Don't witness to anybody on the job. Don't live out your faith in any real and practical way. Just go to church. Just be nice people, just good people. And just leave it there. The next regulation Hitler came out with was to have the pastors sign a loyalty oath. 90% of the pastors in Germany signed an oath of loyalty to der Fuhrer. Can you believe that? A pastor ought to have loyalty to no man other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But 90% of the pastors trained by those German rationalists capitulated. Worst, they even signed a loyalty oath, or pardon me, they even removed the cross. And in the German churches, not all of them, but most of them, the cross of Christ that's behind me on the wall came down and it was replaced with a swastika. Can you imagine that? They exchanged the cross for a broken cross, a swastika. And they would even put the cross up and the swastika would be in the center of it sometimes, like that picture right there. What an incredible change because the gospel was lost and the cross was not preached. And the forces of darkness came to Germany You know, millions died. Evil reigned. Satan was on the throne. A few pastors opposed Martin Niemöller. Will you know his name? Dietrich Bonhoeffer. They paid with their life. They refused to sign that loyalty oath. And I understand that the parallels from Nazi Germany can easily be overdrawn. But they can't be entirely ignored either. And in America today... We are on such a terrible trend because the cross is being minimized. Even in evangelical circles today, the preaching of the cross to many is foolishness. The trend is that people are consumers. Preacher, give them what they want, not what I preached this morning, I promise you. Give them what they want. Don't offend anybody. It's more important to be relevant 
than it is to preach truth. Avoid the holiness of God. People don't, they're not, that scares people. The depravity of man. The exclusivity of the gospel of Christ. Avoid words like judgment and hell. Preach on how to be healthy and how to prosper and how to be a better husband or a better wife or raise better kids or preach about how to avoid stress and be kind to animals, which I'm for, but that has no place up here. Because the cross is the central message of Christianity. Social justice. Help people get jobs. Protect the weak that our president talks about every day. Social justice instead of focusing upon eternal justice. And ladies and gentlemen, I tell you with a broken heart... I told one of the staff this morning, three or four years from now, I have no idea what it's going to be like in this country unless we turn back to God and back to the cross. America is not on its way to apostasy. America is an apostate nation this morning. I don't know if you read this week, but I did. World Vision. One of the oldest evangelical organizations. They're the people that put the touching commercials on television, the little children with the flies on their face and the distended bellies and the hunger. I have given money to World Vision many, many times through the years because of the poignant picture of those little kids there starving to death. This week, their board of directors, supposed evangelical Christians, said, From this point on, we're tired of the pressure. We will hire people in same-sex marriages as employees of our organization. I keep telling y'all that evangelicalism is melting down. Read the paper. You would believe me. In 24 hours, the furor had become so great, they reversed their policy. But I want to ask you, you going to send money to them next week now? Do you trust an organization like that? As in Germany, all the signs point to the fact that we could, we could have persecution in America. This week, the Supreme Court heard the case of Hobby Lobby. A Christian man, Mr. Green, David Green is his name. He and his family wholly own it. It's not even a publicly held company. The issue was this. Must, must a Christian businessman provide abortion-inducing drugs under the health care program? Does a Christian man have to, produce, have to provide, not contraceptives, that's what the media is saying, that's not the issue. The media has, has distorted that. The issue is, does a, a man who owns his own company as a Christian, does he have to provide a health care plan that will provide abortion-inducing drugs to women? A lady in Maryland's on the school board, and God bless her name, whatever. I'm going to write her a letter and thank her this week. She'd been praying at school board meetings, and some federal judge told her she couldn't pray anymore. And she went in the meeting and prayed again. 
And she said, I'll go to jail, but I'll pray before I conduct business on this school board. May her tribe increase. Amen and amen. You get my point. Because America is losing the gospel. And America is minimizing the cross and its implications in life. God help us when we do. Now, to you individually and personally, God help you if you minimize the cross. I love the old song, I will cling. I'll hold to it with everything I have. I'll cling to the old rugged cross. I will cherish the old rugged cross. I'll love it like I love my wife and my children and my dear friends, my family. Cherish, cling to the old rugged cross. One day, thank God, I'll exchange it for a crown. Our heads are bowed. 